0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Pacific Institute's Kitchen Table. The intent of the Kitchen Table is to provide a platform where we are able to share and discuss the dynamic world of cognitive science and the specific role it plays in performance. I'd like to introduce our co-hosts, Greg Coughlin and Ron Medved from the Pacific Institute. They have over four decades of experience working with hundreds of organizations on applying cognitive psychology and science pull up a chair let's get started
1: well what I do what I do every day is is you know I take one day at a time you know to start with and I've really been able to sort of strengthen that discipline but when I go to go to sleep at night, you know, sometimes I dream, sometimes I don't dream. But what I do every night is a certain amount of processing, and when I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I and I do my journaling, that's when I kind of harvest, uh, you know, what's what's there for me. So I've got built into my sort of daily ret- routine. I've got a, I've got a way to. Um, uh, create some space between this, my stimulus and my response, right? Basically I sleep on things. Okay. And I I have some to harvest every morning really. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's profound and a lot of times it's not, but uh, anyway, I, that, that's my own particular discipline or or practice. And I'm just saying that, the outcome of our wisdom project, which I think kind of we all agree on is that we, that's one thing we want to do is we want to help people uh, develop more space between the stimulus in their life and, and their responses. Yeah. And, and uh, and I would go on to say that we'd, I'd like to create some space between people's long held beliefs and opinions and what, Maybe they ought to consider now for the future, not not just ride on those old opinions and beliefs, and yeah. to you know cre- create some some fertile ground for them to sort of reassess and reevaluate. I think that that would be a a worthy, a humane, friendly, you know, way to sort of help people approach wisdom in their life.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Dave, thoughts on that? I agree entirely
3: that the entire intention of the wisdom practice that we've been talking about is to create space between the stimulus, whatever that input is, and go beyond a knee-jerk reaction based on something that we haven't really considered that is just sort of intrinsic within us. Yeah to not just stretch the time but inform that time between stimulus and response so you get beyond you get beyond reaction to a considered response that yeah uh, where, where the justification is something that we can articulate As opposed to something where we just fly off the handle, which is more of a reaction that happens in the moment. So I agree, I think that that really encapsulates well, the purpose of the wisdom practice that we've been talking about.
2: If I could add to that is that we didn't, uh, when we began the wisdom project, we were just trying to be able to create a setting for wisdom to occur in individuals. And the wisdom model uh, that we developed was sort of a discovery that came out of uh, several conversations, meetings, and research. And we're at a point in the wisdom project where the wisdom practice model that I'll, I'll maybe ask you for, for questions on it in a second or some clarification on in a second, but what we've all kind of came to an intersection and this is, we all hold views or opinions or beliefs or convictions that we've come across somehow whether it's through psychology or whether it's through philosophy or theology or sociology or whatever theologies are but really part of the practice is taking time to to incubate on it to reflect on it to examine to reject to affirm to confirmed to exchange. And I think where I'm feeling optimistic about the three of us intersecting is that, Dave, you often talked about holding the belief outside of you and sort of in your hands and looking at it. You know, Ron, you've often used your process of incubation to kind of let it soak for a night or a day or a week or whatever you need. And I've often looked at this as creating space between stimulus and the response. So when you're at a party and somebody's hating on this or against that, sometimes you don't have enough space between the stimulus and response to really put forward what you think about it. When you guys think about if you were trying to describe the components of the wisdom practice model, that what we call is the wisdom practice model – there are three or four components to it. One is just a visual arrow that we tell a story or tell a narrative or tell our story or stories and this is where I think you're articulating Dave where you hold that idea outside of you and then you tell the story but you screen it or filter it through what we are calling the ologies and then from that, it sort of is an output of that that pl- drops into the wisdom, the knowledge, the maturity bucket. But really the whole point is that we've taken time to purposely examine, reflect, incubate, review, affirm the, the, the view, the belief, the conviction, the opinion, not just accept it. Now, let me pause there. For me, that's the the model in a summary and the utility of it, as, as we come to understand it, what do you guys think?
1: Well, I I, I agree with that, and you know, I think that uh, you know, it, it, when we're in a conversation with somebody over dinner or or or, or, or friend or family, and and uh, you know, they come up with a, an opinion or, or they have a strong point of view. You know, oftentimes you're just tempted to sort of like debate back. If you just happen to disagree, you just sort of jump right into the fray and, and 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 say what your opinion is. And sometimes that's the appropriate thing to do. But you know, a lot of times, uh, let the person say what they say. Uh, try to listen to them. Uh, and sort of kind of understand where they're coming from. And if a response is not required, you know, uh, maybe the the better approach would be, just like you said, Greg, is is to uh, uh, sleep on it, you know, uh, incubate on it, you know, and see how you feel, you know, the next day. And I' and I'm finding that I'm getting better at better and being able to do that. I don't need to get into an argument or a debate with someone. You know who has a strong belief. Uh, uh, necessarily. You know, some that's necessary, yeah. but ne- not not all the time. And so, um, yeah that, that that that's what I think we're 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 moving towards here. Yeah.
2: See, it just my add to that is that part of the learning that I've had by using the wisdom practice model is first trying to discover the accuracy of my beliefs that I hold because many have been influenced by the technologies, the social media, the political ideologies, the sociology that I come from. And so there's a first step of this is understanding my own beliefs and really being thoughtful on that. Because I also find that I'll get into an argument with somebody Based on my ignorance, and I don't have a real well thought out belief. I just, he, I feel he or she just is, is, uh, we're against it. So then I get into an argument or, you know, frustration to debate something that I have not got figured out myself, but I'll get into debate on it. So there's sort of two steps. There's one step, is to be able to understand your own beliefs that are driving your behavior, your reactions. But two, I think by what you are articulating, Ron, is to be able to be patient enough to hear what their view is, their belief is, and um, you know, at least then appreciate oh, we're in misalignment here, because we I would, you know, you can see where you've been in situations where you have a different view, a different belief than somebody else. But Ed, if we use the principle, at best, we're only partially right, it's probable that there's some error in your belief and there's probably some error in their belief. Dave, what I was asking is of the view of the model and just is the stories screened through ologies that go through the filter system of coming to understand your wisdom, your knowledge, your maturity on your beliefs. And what Ron has been saying is just the space between stimulus and response and giving it incubation time. Based on what you two have just been
3: saying and and working through, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a learning model, yeah, personal learning model. When you get into a debate with someone – I think a lot of times we're trying to to either reinforce our own position, maybe, or else we're attempting to change their way of thinking. This model is really about our own thinking and being open to growth in our thinking. And so when we process the story, and if the story is someone at a party telling us something that they really Feel strongly about expressing a really strong belief, then this model suggests that there's, there's a way to stretch out the time between that stimulus and our response to, to those ideas by thinking and by considering the, the the various parts of the other person's opinion and by filtering it through various disciplines of study. Yeah. And so there's a, there's, we've talked in the past about citizenship exercise, citizenship workouts. And so part of this is that you take on the responsibility to become familiar with various uh, various perspectives from various disciplines of study so the yeah. ologies. and by doing that then you you can process the, what you've heard and then as you've said a number of times greg you know potentially alter your own thinking or maybe it it reinforces some of your thinking or or you know there's 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 um uh, there's a learning element there but then leads to greater maturity in in your understanding of whatever that situation was. So it's a real learning approach, and it's not about using the ologies to refute what someone else has said. It's about using the ologies and other people's opinions to grow and learn yourself.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm, sure. to add to that is that for 25 years and for 50 years for Ron we've been studying the impact of the psychology on human behavior and human beliefs. And when we use the word ologies, which I didn't really think was a real word, but it is, there was just different influences of different studies. And what we also discovered was the potency of those ologies change in individual people and in yourself. And so some people use theology as a very significant uh, influence on their belief system, where others don't, but they use more their family, or the sociology of their family. <clears throat> so when if I asked you a question, Dave or Ron, when we use the word ology, what is what do we actually mean?
1: Well, I think... Uh strictly speaking it means like you said a study of ology is a study of so there's been some kind of uh, to me it means there's some sort of formal study that we've been exposed to or that we've read about or that we've we, we've we've actually studied you know sort of comp- comprises our category you know that we call ol- ology
2: yeah so, you know we unpack that a little bit. When we think about theology, what does as a, a study that has an influence on belief systems? What when you when we say theology, what do you guys think of when you, in a simple way?
1: Well, theology is uh, sort of the you know this the story about you know my relationship with God and my relationship with my Catholic faith and it, and it goes all the way back so far. I can't even remember its origin. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I picture myself being baptized, you know, when I'm like three weeks old and, you know, they're pouring water over my head and blessing me. And, you know, that's, that's when, when, when that, uh, influence started, you know, and, uh, you know, so Catholics go to mass every week, and you know, and if you go to Catholic school, you go every day, and and you get religious training continuously. So, uh, that's like a real intense type of uh, ology, you know, yeah. theology specifically. Yeah,
3: yeah. for For me, theology is that disciplined study of things that are mysterious or unknowable and you know it can be labeled as god or or you know the the creator or whatever and then there's then there's religion which is you know uh, um, more of a systematic way of of helping people to understand or, or process those mysteries or unknowable things but in terms of theology it's how we for me it's it's how we approach the the unknowable and mysterious
2: parts of life yeah and for me you know this is the study of faith religion and god and what makes it super interesting is it would be pretty predictable if we all had the same theology and the degrees of intensity of that theology but there's from evangelical to catholic to you know sort of mainstream religion there's atheism and agnostics i mean there's different theologies but there's different degrees of it so when i was thinking about the potency of theology is so complex individually that it's it the reflection Uh, on your own theology is the step one and then step two is understanding people's other theology they have you know ron when you were talking about in school if you're you go to mass every day in school and you use the word scrupulosity one time and what is what how come that's important in this conversation
1: well, I think one of the byproducts uh, of, you know, being raised in, in, in a religious environment, like a strong religious environment, uh, can be that a lot of the uh, uh, religion is, you know, put in, you're indoctrinated with a, a good amount of fear. And uh, fear and uh, actually the fear, uh, d- don't do this or else, you know, something awful is going to happen to you. So what happens, the way you develop scrupulosity is that you you, you develop what which I think is generally it's an unhealthy sort of uh, lack of confidence, you know, in in your own belief, in your own thinking, uh, because you've been told what to believe. And you better believe it, or else. And and so the thing is, is that as you, my my belief and my experience is that as you grow older, you need to you need to find you need to replace that uh, indoctrination with with a with a real faith and on a real conviction about what theology means to you. Uh, so if you don't, you you get to suffer scrupulosity, which is actually uh, uh you know a mental disturbance you know uh, simple as that yeah
2: and in previous podcasts that the listener may have listened to they might have heard you use that language but in in podcasts that we've already recorded you're going to hear that story again now when we i told you my bias towards the influence of psychology as an ology but And really, if I take a lead on this, is that psychology is the study of the human mind and behavior. And, you know, both you and I, Ron, were really educated on cognitive psychology that is really founded on human agency and and then the conditions that influence human agency. What would you say, uh, how would you define psychology in the context of our 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 wisdom practice model.
1: Well, I you know, I gotta say that, you know, my my introduction to psychology really came through sports psychology. You know, you know, with my uh sports career, uh, you know, I learned pretty early on that it's not just about your physical prowess or your training prowess, but it's also your mental your mental prowess, your your ability to uh you know stay stay in control in, in, in a competitive environment, et cetera, et cetera. So when I, when I became exposed to uh, cognitive psychology, what you were just referring to Greg uh, uh, you know, a lot of what the, the formal psychologists were saying about the way to think and, 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 you know, how it, how it affects your behavior uh, it, it 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 reinforced a lot of the things uh, you know from my sports background,
0: yeah.
1: And and so uh, again, you know, uh, you know, uh, but uh, you know, but I spent a lot more time in the field of psychology with you uh, than I did in sports. And you know, to me, the st- the study of psychology was really mostly about agency, you know, how your mental mindset your mental framework and your mental discipline actually helps you be more effective in life in yeah. all aspects of your life and so that was what made it really worth studying
2: yeah <clears throat> and if you google psychologies you'll get an inventory of a number from behavioral psychology to cognitive to personal to humanistic psychology so there's lots of psychologies like there are lots of religions but they just are informing us to understand our beliefs and our behaviors. You know, Dave. When we our previous podcast, we really introduced developmental psychology to you, and it seems to hit. It's it landed well with you. Tell the listeners what. How does the developmental psychology fit into to with the wisdom practice model? That
3: the entire wisdom practice model is aimed at quite an um, advanced integrative level of, of psychological development. That's that's the first thing that I think of, is that what we're trying to do here is is to acknowledge that there are various levels and stages of human development and to acknowledge that they all have legitimacy, they all have good parts about them and then they all have uh downsides if taken to too much of an extreme and so um i within our model we're definitely uh aiming at a level which is uh marked by a focus on integration and and balance uh synthesis of the values from the various other levels but first and foremost you have to acknowledge that that there are levels of of human development that have been studied and documented and that we we pass through uh if we continue to learn and and invest in our own our own development that we pass through these various stages in in a predictable order and uh, and uh by by knowing that we we can arrive at this at, at the goal of of the wisdom project which is is to develop that that mature perspective and uh, and uh, recognize the legitimacy of other people's perspectives
2: yeah well and i think what i hear you also saying is it gives you a map of where your beliefs and behaviors reside and it also potentially sees where others or other groups reside and so it's just in a, a way to objectively hold the belief outside of you or create the space between stimulus and response. You know, we we use the language of we originally started to talk about genetics, but then we realized it was biology. And I didn't realize it, but there's actually a psychology of bio, biopsychology. And it's really around the the impact of your biology and any thoughts on that? So, as you were using biology as a, a filter to filter human behavior, comments to that? I found it really interesting to
3: dive into biology and genetics a little bit more and to understand that our genetic expression, in other words, how genes express themselves in in our health and life and behavior is affected as much by their their genetic components, like what combination of genes we have, that has has significant effect. But our psychology, our 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 mindset can turn on and turn off various genes. Yeah. so that they don't express themselves or they express themselves more so the the connection between gene our, our genes and our thinking yeah. is is significant and so your genetic profile does not predispose you necessarily to having different traits it's the combination of your genes and your your psychology so I've, that that kind of blew me away but anyway i'm I'm thinking you know, going back to psychology, it it has its tentacles into all the other ologies for me. Yeah.
2: yeah, Ron, anything to add?
1: Oh, just you know, I think it's very important to you know what we learn in psychology is is the importance of our self- talk. Mm. uh you know the, the the voice that's in our head that uh, we 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 interpret everything that's happening to us and and that and and that has a biological impact you know, that it actually, there's cells in our brains and, you know, our memory and our attitudes are formed through our, through our self-talk. So, you know, we, we end up with a self-image, you know, we end, and we Mm. end up with our opinions and our, you know, and our beliefs because we've actually translated those, you know, into our system. Mm. Uh, And I think that's fairly accurate the way that I described it. And so, a good part of our work uh, in at the Pacific Institute was helping people appreciate the fact that you, you are the, you know, the author of your mindset. And so be careful, you know, with that self-talk because it's, it's influencing you every, every second of the day.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, just the, the, the research that we've done from, Matthew Lieberman's Social Brain, or Ralph Adolph's work, or Bruce Linton's Lipton's The Biology of Belief. It's the, the genetic predisposition to a belief or a, a view. And so I kind of overlook the importance of biology, but from a listener perspective, I'd really encourage you to do some thoughtful reflect or study on it. Now, when we get into politics, and we know the potency of politics, but we talked about politics as an ideology um i'm not sure whether you know there's much to more to say on this but, but the polit- political ideology and the influences it has on our view our opinion our belief and our convictions comments to
1: that there's a psychology to uh, different political political ideology uh you know there's certain politics, uh, are based on the, you know, the control of other people. Uh, whereas, uh, another a brand of politics may em- emphasize, uh, an individual's, you know, freedom and, and, yeah. and individual rights. And so, you know, your politics can definitely influence the way that you look at other people and, and whether, you know, you think you have a right to control them or not. And and uh, so, yeah, though psychology and politics, you know, merge, you know, for me.
2: Yeah, well, and like theologies, there's multiple theologies. Uh, but like in political ideology, there's liberalism, there's socialism, there's fascism, there's conservatism, there's progressivism, there's communism, and there's just this multitude political ideologies that have will be a consideration of how we view the world our view our worldview or our cosmic address and for me it's important to recognize what is my political ideology and how is it influencing the way that i'm viewing the world my worldview and how is it influencing my belief and my behavior i agree i think that for the purposes
3: For the purposes of the Wisdom Project and uh, the Wisdom Practice model, political ideology is actually an interesting place to start. If you don't know quite where to start your your process of of self-analysis or self-reflection, to start with your political ideology is really interesting, because as you tease it apart, you'll find that there will be theological uh, underpinnings there will be sociological underpinnings where did i grow up what was the milieu of 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 my community or my my culture there will be philosophical underpinnings that uh, that allow you to tease apart that ideology and and it's also particularly now in in a very politically polarized and charged environment that we live in if you're able to tease that apart and say okay you know what there are actual influences that have affected my ideology, I can look at them objectively as opposed to having them drive me emotionally or, you know, be so close to the bone that I identify with this. That's a
2: really cool place to start, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I feel lots of times people haven't given a lot of thought to their political ideology. They just, they get attracted by populism against things as opposed to being for things. And so, like you, we've offered before, this is really a valuable spot to invest some reflection in, to be able to find out what do I really uh, politically stand for? What do I politically believe? Because I think I told you that I did this polling of uh, my view on policies, uh, political political policies, and one party I was 69% swayed towards them the other party I was 63% and the other one was at 65%. So what it indicated is if I really understood the policies that they held and if I looked at them objectively, there was only five point or whatever the point difference. So was it really worth getting worked up over a different viewpoint on one thing or the other? When you aggregated, it all ended up to be about the same. So we also... When when we began our exercise before we knew this as a wisdom practice model, you were telling stories of growing up in Saskatchewan or I was telling stories of growing up in Saskatchewan. And so we really thought of that as the sociology. So how does sociology play a role in our beliefs from the wisdom practice model? Why is that ology make our filtration system?
1: Well, I want to throw the ball to Greg, you, and and Dave on that. I mean, the, the example of Saskatchewan, the province of Saskatchewan, with its rich uh, history and tradition, it's, it's a case study in sociology all by itself, is it not?
3: Yeah, I think sociology, the impact of sociology on your beliefs is pretty profound and some sometimes i think under the surface because it's what you've been steeped in it's the norms and the behaviors that were just part of the the environment the atmosphere almost like you know a fish swimming in water you don't really understand the that you're swimming in water so so for me i think uh growing up in saskatchewan i didn't Growing up in Saskatchewan, I didn't even realize the depth to which I had internalized the principles of cooperative uh, uh, philosophy. For instance, um, socialist uh, policies around healthcare—you know, for the good of all and everyone having access to it—it it was just the water that that I was swimming in because it was such a, a um, an NDP. Um, uh, New Dem- New Democratic Party influenced uh, political uh, ideology throughout the, uh, the the years I was growing up. So 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 my my family grew up um, rural, and uh, and uh, the collaboration between uh, a sparse population in a large land mass was 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 part of what. Uh, just influenced everyone in Saskatchewan for those for those years, I think. And so the sociology was was just that water that I was swimming in that I wasn't even aware of. So it has pretty deep influences now when I pull it apart.
2: Yeah, and you really are unconsciously competent at it. You know, quick story is that when I went to the Pacific Institute, I came from Saskatchewan. I worked, you know, came out of really a cooperative, socialistic society. So when I got to working with groups of people within the Seattle TPI team, this is my view, I, I was very popular. And why I was popular? Because I was a good teammate. And why was I a good teammate? Because I came from a socialistic co- cooperative environment. So it wasn't actually, there was almost a biology to my, my behavior based on my sociology. <laughs> We've also done quite a bit of work on, from sociology, we we also studied and did podcasts on the power of philosophy. Tell, tell us, or what do you, why did we conclude, why did we con- include philosophy
1: in our ologies? What was the, what, how would you interpret that? Based on my education, uh, again, especially the influence of the Jesuits, I mean, the the study of philosophy was always uh, front and center, and and uh, you know I it 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 seems like the different studying the different kinds of philosophy over the years has just been part of the you know the you know the growth in my life. I know that uh, you know when I was in college, uh, I went to a secular university, but you know my parents thought it would be important that I I got a little uh, philosophy from. From uh, the Jesuits over at Seattle University, and so, mm. on. so I went to summer school one summer and took a course in metaphysics, uh, which is uh, uh, a subject of philosophy, and uh, I really benefited from that. Uh, and 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 then later on, I mean, it's just uh, whether it's uh, studying the ancient Greeks or, uh, you know, looking at a different sort of, uh, uh, different approaches to life, philosophy of life. Um, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's always, it's always, uh, an, a, an area of study that, you know, benefits, you know, yeah. my life. So, uh, mm. I, I have a lot of respect for philosophy.
2: See, I, because I don't have a, a potent, uh, theology, theological background. I was looking for personally guidance in terms of right and wrong. And so when I came across the study of philosophy was really about knowledge and truth, right and wrong. It even touched into religion and, and the nature and the meaning of life. I found it to be very helpful to be able to understand not only philosophy, but my own philosophy as an influence that why do I believe in certain things? Why do I behave in a certain way? Uh, You know, so for me, you know, the love of wisdom, as the Greeks say, is the fine philosophy. Um, That's really what it did, did for me. The other sort of clue that we were getting is some of our profound influences, like Martin Seligman is one of the world-class psychologist going, he did some work on character study and character traits. And so he was moving into stepping out of the discipline of psychology into the discipline of philosophy through character and virtues. And so it it was affirming to me that it was important for me not just to saturate myself in the potency of psychology, but also to start to look at What's the potency of philosophy? Dave, any more comments to that? Only to say that if
3: we don't consider our guiding philosophy, if we don't delve into what is influencing our our behaviors and governing our actions, then we are, are left to be I guess, at the mercy of uh, an, an something we don't understand, something we haven't brought to consciousness. And if you haven't brought it to consciousness, it can seem like fate or destiny or whatever, when really it is something that is driving you that you can understand and eventually control if you just delve into the philosophical underpinnings of, of your your morals or your ethics or what's driving your behavior.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, we've sort of saved the last ology. There's multiple other ologies, but for our pre- reference, we bring up forward technology. And, you know, we look at technology in a way that is the social media, the digital <coughs> technology that it's like a super big wind blowing against all the ologies. Scott Galloway, we article on emissions, we utilize and we were attracted to it because it really talked about the um the potency of attra- attention now when you think about technology why how does it influence beliefs or you know behaviors what's you, what how would you describe it
1: well i think we I'm you know i've talked about this before but uh you know i grew up uh, uh in the age of uh television coming into our lives and and uh you know you know, I can remember a time as a kid when that there I didn't have a television, and then I can remember when I did have a television, and you know just how much the world opened up, uh, you know, it, uh, to me through that that technology. And I, I think I've also talked about sort of you know the the influence of the Vietnam War uh, b- through television uh, and 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 being able to see the see the war up close and personal, which. Quite disturbing. I I think one other thing I would just say about the television technology is, is that the Pacific Institute, you know, uh, celebrated its fiftieth anniversary uh, a couple years ago, and and uh, the Pacific Institute uh, what really got its uh, grounding for its uh, international growth by. Uh, utilizing vi- videotaped television uh in other words the the lectures of of our teachers especially Lou Tice, on yeah. videotape uh was uh a dramatic uh technological you know influence and and uh, so uh so that- I
2: yes, yeah, sorry for interrupting but I take away from that is that there is some really positive positive Uh, effective utilities of technology uh that influenced like the videotape influenced millions of people's beliefs and informed them on its cognitive psychology but there's also the downside to technology and and the propaganda or social media uh, you know dominance uh is, is that true
1: well of course uh you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, as technology has evolved, uh, and even as, you know, uh, television and social media and everything has evolved over the years. I mean, we, we've moved into, you know, an age of not just information, electronic information, but electronic misinformation, uh, the whole challenge of, of, uh, you know misinformation and disinformation uh is very very real today and has been for you know has been for 10 or 20 years so much so that you know it's hard to tell you know what's the truth and what isn't the truth so uh you got to be very careful you know to sort of manage manage your media input uh you got to make decisions every day on what's uh what's real and, and and what's not real
2: yeah dave thoughts on it the influence
3: of technology in the model that we have is again like all of the ologies considerable in terms of us understanding our underlying beliefs tendencies behaviors and understanding our story so for instance we have technology in our hands all the time and so all of a sudden now when we analyze our beliefs are we influenced by the belief that things need to be understood instantaneously yeah that responses need to be instantaneous that flies in the face of what we're trying to do which is spread out the distance between stimulus and response so as you as you think about your actions what's appropriate your beliefs you have to consider those implicit influences influences of technology, along with are we consciously pursuing a, a balanced perspective, or are we just being uh, accepting whatever the algorithm is is sending us? Uh, mm-hmm. those, those sorts of things. Um, and what, te- what what technology is appropriate for me right now, just to to be conscious of the kinds of technologies? I mean, Ron, you write, uh, you know, pen and paper or pencil and paper every day. That's that's a technology that's very helpful to you. And you've chosen that one purposefully. You know, if you could have just as easily in the morning, not journaled, but checked your email. But it's a conscious decision to use the right technology at the right time and to acknowledge the influence of technology. So within our wisdom practice, technology plays a huge role in terms of the reflection on its influence on our beliefs.
2: Yeah. you know, in sort of summary, when we began the wisdom project, we really didn't think that it would result in the development of a wisdom practice model, but over, you know, weeks and weeks of work, we've come to understand the power of a story filtered through different studies of ologies that enable the ability to create space between the stimulus and the response, to create a pause, to objectively look at the beliefs that you hold, that you can now explore those beliefs in a, you know, slow motion way that can either, you can reject the beliefs, you could affirm the beliefs, you could revise or revisit or exchange the beliefs. And that's for me, the, the, the salient point of the model is that it gives me control of of the the what I'm putting into my belief system. I cannot not say that it, technology is such a it sneaks up on you uh, with with stealth like accuracy that it really is a significant ology that wasn't on my radar as much as it is now and just being disciplined in what I accept to be true or not to be true and my sources of information because of the power of technology, the speed, the the you know uh, and Scott or Scott Galloway just did an article on that uh, once again on on the power of of technology. Let me pause there. Our intent today was to be able to give a little bit more detailed on when we talk about the wisdom practice or model. Um, do you? Is there more to say on it, guys? Is there, are we at a spot where we can now sort of introduce stories? From from my
3: perspective, we are moving to creating. a a response that reflects wisdom and by wisdom we mean acting in accordance with with our our true beliefs but also taking into account the the impact of our beliefs and actions on others and whether we're comfortable with that impact and so the wisdom practice model sets up a, a process through which you can analyze your beliefs and and your potential responses to stimuli and then leads to action which is from your perspective right or good or virtuous or or appropriate yeah. based on on uh your your reflection yeah. And while we won't all agree on what's right and appropriate and good in any situation, it does at least lead us to that goal that through through a reflection and through extending time between our stimulus and response, that we will come to a response that is in alignment with with our deepest understanding of what is right good virtuous for us and and so there's almost a bit of a loop to it because then you act and then you have another story and you analyze that and you continue to grow through that process
1: yeah
2: ron thank you dave very helpful any additions comments
1: well just one one for me uh hey let's remember that uh we're doing this wisdom project in the afternoon of our lives and the afternoon of our lives is a, is, is, is from the psychologist, you know, Carl Jung, but it's, it's also a piece of philosophy. Uh, And the philosophy of the afternoon of life is that, you know, when we're in the morning of life and, and as we're going through the early stages of our life, we're, we're we're interested in achieving and competing and, and and we're ambitious and we're raising families. Now that we're in the afternoon of our life and the three of us are, uh, it's time for a serious and meaningful reflection. Uh, and uh, so, the wisdom practice model. I think you know we we we've been sweating bullets over in in creating it, but it's it's our our way. You know, to get at doing some meaningful reflection on on life, our lives, uh, and uh, and something that we can uh, leave for others.
0: Yeah.
2: Well said, Ron. Let me pause there and sort of wrap up today. You know, thanks everybody for coming and visiting us at the kitchen table. Um, be well. Hey, folks just a bonus addition on a story from Dave uh, Dirksen that he's going to apply the wisdom practice model to. Hope you enjoy. He just, as we carry on here, uh, part of the um, process of the wisdom practice is storytelling. And we found utility in our story. So you had a pumpkin story, Dave. Will you tell us the pumpkin story?
1: I and will then, tell you the pumpkin Then we can story. apply
2: the, the model to it. Right.
3: Um, so my, my niece and her husband are practicing Muslims, and their son uh, is six years old and is a, a phenomenally bright, articulate, verbal Child who loves to act out all kinds of things, loves to wear costumes, and is very expressive with with his feelings. And um, recently, we had a Thanksgiving gathering, and and we had uh, already set up sort of some things on our our step out front. And one of the things that were uh, in this display was a pumpkin. And we had the pumpkin there as kind of a fall symbol, but also anticipating that it would be a Halloween symbol. And so uh, my, my young uh, great nephew uh, was, uh, was um, on his way out to the car after, after the evening, uh, and he saw the pumpkin there and because they're a muslim family they choose not to celebrate halloween and so he he was was really curious about this pumpkin because he knew it was a halloween symbol and so he said is that a halloween pumpkin and i said not thinking of of the significance and ramifications for this young person, I said, well, yeah, it, it will be. It's a Thanksgiving pumpkin today, but it will be our, our Halloween pumpkin. And so then you could see in him a conflict, he, a, a child who loves to dress up and uh, take on characters and also, of course, loves candy <laughs> like every kid. And so on his way out, he... He, he expressed this this um, mental dissonance by kicking the pumpkin and saying "stupid Halloween pumpkin." And he went to the vehicle. Well, his mom and dad saw this and were correctly going to teach a lesson to him to not be um, not be. Uh, I guess uh, violent or abusive to uh, auntie and uncle's uh, stuff on their step, and so they they said you go back and you apologize, and so he came back and he said I'm sorry, and then he gave the pumpkin a big hug and said I'm sorry, Halloween pumpkin, and so he apologized to us, but also apologized to the pumpkin. <clears throat> he's very, he's he's a very sensitive and emotional kid. And uh, and then and then he left. and so our whole family was there. And so over the subsequent days, uh, we we reenacted this and, and laughed about it because it was so touching and so so funny. Both the you know stupid Halloween pumpkin you know kick and and uh, and then the hug, and then with further reflection. On this story, I think there's there's other significance there that I that, that we talked about. So I don't know if you have questions about it.
2: Well, I just if you if we take a few minutes on using, we've just introduced a model of ologies. And if you slow motion the experience that you're that he went through or everybody else went through, what ologies did you touch on? Right. Well, there, there's definitely
3: a theological component because they they have um, a very strong faith and there's there is a judgment based on that faith that the halloween tradition is inappropriate for them Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and they are bringing that that decision and that judgment to their children of course that's what that's what you do with religion you you uh you make decisions as a family based on on the the theological tenets of of your religion yeah so then there's a there's a sociology that's at play counter to the the theology which is that all of the kids in uh, not all the kids a majority of the children that that live in saskatoon will be Dressing up in costumes, something that this guy really loves, and going out and getting candy. So he knows that this is a thing. And so he's attempting to be a good son and be part of that family culture. But there's the wider sociological culture that is causing him uh, internal conflict, which he acts out by kicking the pumpkin because he's, you know, he's, he's a little expressive guy.
2: Yeah
3: so along with that of course is is the psychology and right. the developmental appropriateness and, and ability of a 6 year old to to deal psychologically with the the push and pull of of what he's experiencing it's pretty complex and and developmentally probably a bit beyond his capability you know so he he needs to to make sense of this somehow and act it out Technology, probably. I'm not sure what he's seeing out there. Um, um, ads, so, uh, uh,
2: you know, advertisements, news broadcast, uh, right? You know, just different, you know, expressions of Halloween, and all of the displays on the various
3: uh, um, lawns, like at Christmas time. Uh, he also like he just loves to go and see the grinch down the street you know that's that's you know blown up on someone's lawn etc so you know he's he's very aware and, and and captivated by those things so one of the things that this reflection has has and I talked to my family about this I said you know let's just not um make this too big a deal let's not continually you know say stupid <laughs> halloween pumpkin and laugh about it because yeah. it's a tough time for him and it's a tough time for his family because they're attempting to do what's right and they're they're attempting to get him um oriented and okay with with this this bind that they're in so so i think we we needed to uh through the wisdom practice it's allowed me to rethink my reaction uh and my um uh, my uh response to this stimulus initially my 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 reaction was oh it's funny you know we'll just laugh about it we'll tell it again and we'll tell it again but through further reflection using the wisdom uh, practice model i've been able to come to a um, a more mature yeah. way of responding to this and uh, and to limit the the frivolity around it and and to have other kinds of conversations
2: yeah well, oh, wonderful story. Thanks for, I mean, for telling it. But it's also, if you change the pumpkin to a, a, a religion, a somebody that's different than you, you know, you could see this, you know, understanding why there's hatred in the world or why there's, uh, you know, abuse or you know, going on and around the world. Let me pause here to say. We're going to talk more about this as we go along. Uh, we'll try to bring stories and illustrations, but the whole point of this is the model, the practice model enabled ability to frame of reference of what's influencing beliefs and behaviors. Uh, and given a time to be able to incubate, to build stim- space between students, stimulus- stimulus and response and pause, it's really aided us in our own discovery of our
0: wisdom. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast with the Pacific Institute. If you like what you heard today, click the like button or perhaps share this podcast with friends and family. For more information on TPI or how to get in contact with us, please visit www.tpikitchentable.ca You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. See you next time at the kitchen table.